Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. It is a Wednesday in the middle of January. Nebraska just had some visitors. Let's talk recruiting. Brian, will you give us a rundown of the guys that were in over the weekend? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the guy who should do that. I, I think you should. <laughs> yeah. I think you should. I well, think, I mean, I'd be happy to help out if you need me. Yeah, I Let might. Me I might need you to like pass some crib notes over. Okay, I can do that. But no, uh, I'll I'll let Brian off the hook here. Nebraska had four visitors this weekend, and no banter. We're just going right no, into it. We're just straight into it. What okay, we banter? can banter later. Okay. We can work banter in as oh, we. Oh, that's the plan. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people just want you to jump right into it. And then you get to the banter, and they don't even know that it's banter. Are we bantering about banter right now? It's a little banter to the banter. Yeah. So the, the visitors this weekend, yeah, Mike. I, well, look, I mean, you threw me off. I was, I was just going to dive right into Give it. us that red meat yeah, right now. Charles in. Njoku, a wide receiver out of New Jersey. DJ James, a defensive back out of Alabama, committed to Mississippi State. Stephen Parker, a defensive end out of – well, defensive end outside linebacker out of Dallas. And then – Sony Fanua, a Mesa Community College defensive end outside linebacker out of Salt Lake City. Nebraska hosted all four of those. We had updates on all of them, I guess, in a way. And visits went well. I mean, from what I've heard from them, from what uh, our network heard, uh, from other conversations, Nebraska had a really good weekend this past weekend. Even with the snow, uh, there could be, I think, at least one, if not more, commitments likely coming out of that but because of the timing of when the weekend is it's hard to get those guys to say yes right away especially if they have other visits planned or if you were already planning to go into january why would you take just one visit and then shut it down immediately so i i think that it'll be a little bit slow but i I could see some real success coming out of that group and nebraska targeted those guys specifically to have them in who would you say (laughs) sorry no, you're good. I, I looked at Runts over there. We, both, we, had, we both had blank expressions yeah. on our face, didn't we? I think this I just, just jumping right into the podcast is a uh, bad idea. I'm all shaken up over yeah. here. I, I have bitchy resting face anyways, but, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily think that. It's, it's true. Is it? Yeah. yeah well, this uh, is my happy face. I got a question about what you just said. Okay. You have a question? You, you mentioned. Yeah. In, in Joku, is that how it's pronounced? Uh, yeah. Would you say he, okay, of all the guys, would you say most likely for Nebraska? Yeah, I think he is in part because I don't know if there's another threat currently established at this point. He's going to go visit UCLA this weekend, but the Bruins haven't offered yet. Mm -hmm. He has a good relationship with Troy Walters and with Scott Frost, and I, I think that he likes the fact Nebraska views him as a wide receiver, which has kind of been the battle for him in his recruitment. A lot of teams like him. I mean, you're talking about a six foot five, two hundred pound athlete, but because his brother is an NFL tight end, and because of the size that he is, he's being projected more as a tight end than a wide receiver, and that's not necessarily what he wants. And so he's kind of ruled out a lot of programs that don't view him as a receiver, which opens the door for Nebraska, who certainly wants somebody of that size and and hope that he can assimilate to being able to play outside. Uh, as a receiver so I I would say their best shot at a commitment is him and then it's probably a kind of a draw between DJ James who's committed to Mississippi State but has pretty much the interest of every major program still looking for DBs 
at this point. Uh, you know, people on our network think he's the best available defensive back that mm-hmm. uh, is really out there and looking around. So I, I think that he's going to be a tough pull. And then Stephen Parker, you know, they had a good visit, but he also made that kind of in our conversation as it started. He's like, yeah, the visit was great. I love the campus, everything. And then just the, but it's kind of cold here. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. And that gives everybody pause when you're talking about a kid from the South. But Nebraska, I think, put their best foot forward with him. And then Fanua, it's really tough for me with junior college guys right now because I don't think that there's as much opportunity to come in and, and get as much playing time at Nebraska as maybe like Oklahoma State or even UCF, and those are two visits he has coming up. So it's hard to say with him. You don't you don't think he'd come in at outside linebacker and be able to play a little bit? Well, I think he'd be able to play, but, I mean, he has two years, right? And you have Tyron Ferguson, JoJo Doman, Alex Davis, Caleb Tanner, David Alston, potential freshman coming in. Like, yeah, he's physically different than some of those dudes, but is he immediately better than what they have out there already? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm somewhat skeptical. And so um, – So the only guy that you know anything about in that group would be Ferguson? And even then there's a – but, I mean, I don't think Doman's going back to safety, do you? No, I don't know that he's going to be an every-down guy. Though. Right. Well, and I don't think Fanua is either in this system. I mean, I think that you use him in early downs, and then maybe you move him to a 3-4 defensive end type in obvious passing situations uh, to see if you can get a little extra speed coming off the edge there. But I don't, I don't know enough about him as to how that fit looks for a guy who really only has two years and is going to want to maximize – as much playing time as possible with a pretty muddled board for Nebraska. How big? No, and it could be he got there and they basically told him, you know what, you'd start from day one. But knowing Nebraska, that's not what they would have said. Right. How big a deal do you guys think it is for Nebraska to add a different type of model car at wide receiver, basically that big frame guy, or do we overcook that some? I mean, you got a six-five-two. 100 pound prospect here and that's interesting because you compare him with the rest of the room you're like oh that's nice because it it looks different but yet sometimes i think we we almost overstate that almost but yeah i think you're right because i mean and brunts can testify to this too at what point since we've been doing this job have we not discussed nebraska's need for a bigger bodied wide receiver i mean it's it's come up pretty much all the time. Whenever they brought in anybody over six foot three, it's basically uh, Jariah Tolbert. That didn't go well. So um, touchdown they, in the spring game once. McGriff. Well, and McGriff was a tight end, I guess, initially, and then they moved him to receiver, and then they moved him to tight end, and then they moved him to outside linebacker, and then he moved away from them. So it's. Uh, I think that we discuss it more than it really tends to be a true need because if I mean if you can get guys like Stanley Morgan who are six foot six foot that's what I was just gonna say Quincy Anunwa who's six foot one you know who played a lot bigger than they actually maybe physically are I mean that's just as valuable as a random six foot four guy the the thing is to me especially with Nebraska right now is yeah Charles Njoku would be great but they could also utilize guys like Austin Allen Kurt Raftall Exactly. Uh, a little bit differently, too, and get similar type. Because to me, it always comes down to the red zone type production. You want the, the bigger guy there that can go up and get the ball in the red zone. 
they have a couple tight ends that I think that they would like to utilize more in that capacity going forward. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't want or take Charles Njoku, but I do think you're right in the idea that we talk about this more than maybe its actual importance. And I do think I it is useful in the red zone to have that, that big target, but I think there is a difference between college ball and pro ball as far as it feels like in, when you watch the NFL, there's so many plays that are designed like go up and get this over that defender. And in college, I, I can't say think of that many touchdowns, honestly. Nebraska scores where it's like a jump ball situation. It's usually a well-devised play that springs a guy open whether he's five foot eleven or six two. It doesn't I, that's well, why I, Quincy could do it. They did it with him at yeah. times. And that's about the only guy I can think of. And he wasn't I mean he was was he even six foot two? Uh probably right about there, I yeah. guess. And then finding a guy who's six five who can actually run, who is more than just a guy who looks good on paper, because oh he's a receiver and he's six five that's a whole other matter. There's only a very small sampling to pick yeah. from. I was just going back through some past receivers who would perhaps fit that mold of the bigger body wide receiver. Tolbert was allegedly six three. I don't think he actually was. Well, a lot of people are allegedly yeah. something, and then they're not. I mean, McQuitty was listed at six two. Yeah, it's five I mean, five eleven and a half. Yeah, <laughs> Nate Swift was a six two. Um, How tall was Todd Peterson? Yeah, he was. That was a good combo, man. Those, yeah, those they got guys it done. Are, those guys, those guys would be would tear it up in this offense. If you if you had a Nate Swift in this offense, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Jordan Westerkamp generously listed at six two. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> certainly not on Huskers.com. No, uh, Alonzo Moore, he was taller, right? He was about six foot. Was Alonzo Moore only six foot? Yeah. I was taller than Alonzo Moore. You were taller than Alonzo Moore? Uh-huh. I wasn't. Well, yeah, you're you're out of this conversation. <laughs> oh, hey, there's Wondell Robinson. Go stand next to him. <laughs> All right, that's funny. <laughs> you're a funny guy. You should tell jokes for a living and make money. <laughs> the, work. It, it, it is interesting, though, because you, you talk to, to Oregon fans, and, and I saw early in the season I saw little references to this pop up about how much Scott Frost loves that back shoulder throw or the, or the fade in the red, in the end zone. So, I mean, maybe that, that's where you do use an Austin Allen or, or a Charles Njoku. But, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's not like Nebraska is just going up there playing 500 um, every time they're in the red yeah. zone, although that would be an interesting approach. I mean, I, I think we saw an offense that Jackpot. tried to play 500 a lot. It didn't. Didn't win a lot of fans over. Yes, yes. So, but uh, beyond Njoku, any of those other guys, I mean, DJ James is really interesting to me because he had a really good visit. Uh, it was very complimentary of the of the staff, and then Nebraska immediately had a couple coaches out to see him within a couple days of his visit. We all think here at this table, Nebraska's going to end up with Noah Pola Gates, who announces on Saturday at the Polynesian Bowl on CBS Sports Network at a time to be decided. Company guy. Company guy. And it's interesting because we haven't seen or heard much regarding Jamel Starks and Tavian Mayo, so it feels like Nebraska may have moved on past those guys. But if they can add somebody like James to the group of DBs they already have signed, plus Pola Gates, that's a 
really nice overhaul of the secondary in a couple years stretch for Travis Fisher. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we were the ones last week who were sounding the horn, like, look at what's kind of happening here with yep. the, the DBs. And he's, if he adds Pola Gates, which we expect, that already looks pretty good on paper, that group. Um, you know how I, I'm a big fan of Miles Farmer, yep. and I think Quinton Newsom and some of these guys are probably a little underrated. Um, but, yeah, if you if you put one more, especially a kid who's wanted down in the southeast into that room, people are going to look up on the first Wednesday in February and be like, man, Travis Fisher kind of got it done, didn't he? Yeah. I, I, I think that's going to be a storyline. He's about one more addition from it being that. Well, and for all the hand-wringing about the, the recruiting of the position, and then you actually saw what the improvement from the DBs this past year. I mean, that I think puts Nebraska in pretty good shape in their second it's, it's just another example. This is with all of stuff. It's so much of perception is way too based off social media. And just like it's that's what it is with DB recruiting almost. It's like, oh, Travis Fisher doesn't you know, take a lot of pictures with these guys or something. And that suddenly equates to this idea that they're not getting stuff done recruiting that position. And it's just sort of ridiculous. Uh, Well, somebody's got to take the photo, right? That's Travis Fisher. (laughs) How do we know that Travis Fisher has a like specialized? He's just a really, really good iPhone (laughs) photographer. He just loves portrait mode. Yeah. Big fan. He's that guy. He's like at getting a, different angles. He's it's that like, guy at amusement parks. He's like, you need a picture, you need, and he takes it and <laughs> gives them the shot of their life. Just lingers around a little <laughs> bit. Just, you guys, need a photo? You good? All right. Running with Pola Gates for a little bit. <laughs> so I didn't know where to take that. You weren't as amused by the idea of uh, Travis was, Fisher at Disney World doing that as well. No, I was. I was trying to, <laughs> to come up with where we were gonna go. I mean, we we had probably. It, it, Went as far as could travel. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if you had a teacups bit you wanted to work in there. I'd I'd used it all. (laughs) That was everything. Pull a Gates. Pull a Gates. What about him? So he announces on Saturday. Nebraska also um, has Matthew Polamau as a target that they like at this game, too. Polamau talked with some of the 24-7 sports reporters when he was out there. On Monday, I believe it was Monday, and basically said that he's looking at a USC visit, but he hasn't scheduled a date yet. We know he's coming in next weekend to Nebraska, possibly with his uh, his cousin and maybe Nebraska commitment or possibly even signing Noah Pola Gates. What do you think about the importance of adding – a nose tackle to what is already a pretty strong defensive line crop for Mike Dawson. Cause you have it does to me, and this is just kind of where I'm at with it. If you get somebody like Matthew Polamau, you can probably move Ethan Piper to the offensive line if he wants to. And I don't know where Ethan Piper is with that, but I think he's a pretty athletic guy and has the ability to change positions. And then you still give yourself somebody that you can develop at the nose tackle spot. And you kind of move forward with that as, okay, in 2020, we got to go find another big dude that we can plug in the middle because we're going to lose Darian Daniels. Damian Daniels will be a, what? Junior. Junior at that point. So it's a, it becomes a, a bigger piece of need, but at the same time you address, you know, offensive line too if you move Piper over. Yeah, and you do lose the safety net of Carlos Davis too, so you got to think of that. Like that, it's – 
he's so nice to have and probably underappreciated sometimes because he, I think at times in his career, has had to play spots that aren't his best spot on the D-line to fill in for other things, and he'll be gone. So I can see where you have to bulk that that up when you think about, okay, he's gone, uh, you know, Darian is gone. There, There's going to be some snaps that need to be taken by some other guys there. Are, are we entering – is Carlos Davis entering – Aaron Kraft territory where you start joking about how long he's been in Nebraska. I just think it, it feels I think like having he's... his twin brother there makes it easier though. Right. Like, cause I mean, you can't, you can't make that joke about both of them. Could. Could you? Yeah. Do you feel like Khalil Davis has been there as long as Carlos Davis? Feels like it. Well, he has. I feel like it's true. I feel like every off season for about the last seven years, I've been predicting that Carlos Davis is going to really step forward. Do you feel like when you go to Holmes Lake, you run into two of them just fishing every time? Because I do. You, you, you have said that. They, they frequently fish yeah, out there. Yeah, that's their favorite fishing hole. And it'll be interesting, you know, when they're still here in 2027. 20, yep. His defensive lineman still hitting up Holmes Lake. I've written at least three or four stories since they've been here about them fit, liking fishing. Yeah. So they have been here a while. <laughs> when, when you get in the territory of you can catch... Use up a whole full hand of all your fingers that you've written that many stories about a guy who likes fishing. Is it because you also like fishing? Yeah, and you can kind I think of bond so. A little I think I'm biased about toward it. it. Yeah, and those guys they they're they're decent talkers as it is, yeah. but they will go off if you ask them about fishing. You get into the topics that they're interested in. They'll certainly uh, they'll certainly do that. The the defensive line though is interesting. And your point's correct about. And I think we, a couple weeks ago we talked about how that group is kind of getting turned over as yeah. well. Uh, well, I think there's a lot of similarities secondary defensive line. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one reason why you know you have to feel okay about the direction of the defense. I mean, I know that you know it's not proven production, but you've got options, and it, it's felt like in the past that perhaps it was basically your front end guys. And then, you know, you, you were kind of at a loss for who was going to come in behind him. So, you know, you, you get Wildeman back in the spring. You get Rodgers back in the spring. Uh, see what they can do. But that that, that group has some definite potential, uh, you know, beyond 2019. Let me ask you guys this. How different does this January feel right now compared to last year when Nebraska was kind of scrambling to fill out its – it's class, and they had coaches all over the place, and there's names popping up every day, and there's about 14 new offensive linemen that may be visiting, and then none of them do. It's, uh, I mean, this is the future of what it's going to look like in January in terms of recruiting, because I think you're just training towards more and more that it's just a couple guys that you're looking to fill out a class with. What does it seem like to you a year after? Well... I mean, it January, and, and it's not just this staff either, but, I mean, you go back to some of the, the Januaries that we covered with Bo Pelini's Pretty much recruiting. Pretty every staff we've covered. Where it was just like, you know, you get to the third week in January, and it's like, what, who, who's this guy? Like, you know, your Northwestern State is, is the only offer, um, that kind of thing. I mean, you're not, you're not seeing that now. And, and you weren't even really seeing that last year either. I mean, I think that they – they were scrambling, but more so just because of the, the time crunch of having been down at UCF and, and doing the Peach Bowl stuff. But it, it's it's felt to me, and it felt this way last year too, that, that you're not – they've got their quote-unquote plan B guys ready to go. 
and you're you're not having to take guys just to take guys and that's been the, my biggest complaint about past coaching staffs is they never managed their numbers correctly like if Nebraska gets close to th- signing 30 guys in this class they're going to be over that 85 limit um so you know that it, it's been a while since Nebraska's a taken the max that they could take and b actually filled those spots with guys that are you know, guys that that are that could be contributors earlier in their career, and not just, hey, maybe you know, by his junior season, we can get a year out of him, kind of a thing. Yeah, some of the previous staffs were like, uh, Pelini's staff in particular, were like I was as a high school student. If the paper was due on Friday, I was doing it at like up till three a.m. Friday morning. Just and in high school, that wasn't you in college. No, too? that was all. Yeah, the extended, I guess, to college too. So if it's kind of refreshing to see a staff now where we're reporting as much the last day or so on 2020 and 2021 guys they're looking at 2021 quarterbacks than um some of the current class stuff and that's exactly where they want to be when we met with those guys they talked about how they were playing catch up still and I don't think the general public understands that as much. I think they always kind of assume, okay, once you get past that first couple months and you get your first class together, uh, you've got it figured out. Well, that's not the way it works. Um, it takes a full year and a half, two years for a coaching staff to be on the correct pace. And I think you're seeing it now where they're getting close to that or they're playing a year or two ahead. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you, and we can get into more of these names in a bit, but they're going to have a really nice crop of guys coming in for their junior day, which they get to have before the signing day on February 6th. And so they're obviously playing from a totally different position than they were last year when they finished signing day and had to turn around and start working on 2019 people. And their first few commitments were all in-state guys because they really hadn't been able to establish at that point. So... Uh, yeah, I, I just think it's going to be really interesting kind of going forward how different January is going to be for us in the industry, for the industry in general. And then you think about these schools, like when you make a coaching change, you're effectively, in a lot of cases, punting a recruiting class. I mean, Louisville is going to finish with like 16 commitments maybe. And how many of them do they actually have? two years from now, that's going to be something that, you know, as we look at these changes and with the way that schools change coaches all the time, it's going to be harder and harder to not put yourself behind the eight ball. Does January in, in the future almost kind of become like, like waiver wire season? Like I think you're going to see more of that too with guys transferring in January and then those last three weeks. Can we call it appeals season? Yes, we okay. can. Um, and, and seen a lot more of those guys looking for schools, um, you know, r- around, you know, the start of the semester, things like that. Cause I, I think with the, the transfer portal, not having to ask for permission to transfer, um, I, I think you're going to, I think that's where you're going to see a lot more action, especially with, with schools that had coaching changes, um, with guys moving around. And I mean, we've already seen it this year with, uh, some pretty high profile guys. What do you uh, what do you think you would do first thing you got into the transfer portal? What would I do? Yeah, well, I'd probably take off my space boots. Nice. I want to track any dirt in into the portal. <laughs> that space dirt. Yeah. 
Um, if you could take any two people in history, you think there's a mud room? The transfer portal. Who would you take? <laughs> it's been. Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd take Teddy Roosevelt as one. <laughs> yeah. Teddy Roosevelt, huh? Yeah. Wow. Maybe Buzz Aldrin. Could he go in the transfer portal with me? He likes to get in scraps, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think Aldrin That, that moon landing would... was not faked. <laughs> Look, when he sees Steph Curry the next time, Steph better apologize for those remarks or he's getting punched in the face. That's what Buzz Aldrin does. You cast out, you get punched in the face. My favorite guy to enter the transfer portal uh, was Tate Martell. Because I was reading up on like his whole story since he was being recruited. If there was one guy to star in a movie like where you're, like a 1980s quarterback who kind of just is does it all and is kind of, you know, a wild man, I think Tate Martell is our living example of that. I thought that was going to go a different route where if you were starring in like a 1980s movie and the other team had this sort of obnoxious quarterback that he seemingly be- had every benefit in life. And you just didn't really particularly care for him. It would be Tate Martell. Well, he yeah, he could play both roles. He's versatile that way. It seems nice. I didn't uh, I didn't know that. So he uh, he apparently is going to Miami. Yeah, mm-hmm. and apparently Jeff Thomas left Miami, committed to Illinois, and then decided at the last <laughs> minute, nope, I'm going back to Miami. I I'm really excited for Lovey Smith to put together the all transfer portal team. Mm-hmm. I uh, you know nothing can go wrong when you bring in a bunch of one year guys to your program. Where you have a really young team, uh, you know, particularly guys that may or may not have been cast off previous programs for various instances. I and and certainly with a, a person like Lovey who has full total control of everything going on over there, what could go wrong at Illinois? I, I started thinking about it. You remember when everything was going down at Penn State and there was the questions about, you know, are guys gonna Tim Beckman? Yeah, Tim Beckman basically sets says louder. That, he says that he's <laughs> going to set up his his assistant coaches at like a Ramada in State yeah, College. Yeah. Uh, that to me, that Ramada is what I pictured the transfer portal as. You just nice. walk into a hotel room with a couple of Illinois coaches just sitting around. Can Tim Beckman be the doorman? Yes, he can. He'd He's... like to wish his mother a happy birthday. <laughs> Do you think any podcast in America references Tim Beckman as much as ours does? No, I know There's for a no fact. There's no chance. That, yes. yeah. He comes up at least once every couple months Yep. for some reason or another. Usually... In in regards to you who or wishing his mother is he never going to get another head coaching job again? What's he doing though? Stats department will take a look. Also, this... Buzz Aldrin's still alive. Didn't realize that. Why do you think everyone's dead? <laughs> I, I don't know. <clears throat> I was surprised that Bill Paxton was dead. Yeah, yeah, that was a tough loss last year. I didn't realize that till a couple of days ago myself, Brown. So How about pa- Bill Paxton? Yeah, I I, I wikied him, he and it was get... kind of a heartbreaking moment he was uh in 2016 he was a volunteer defensive assistant in north carolina for uh larry fedora and beyond that that's that's where the wikipedia trail ends it goes cold are we gonna colder than you who are we gonna be covering a game with jalen hurts in it next year uh who's he looking at maryland oh yeah mike laxley i thought mm-hmm. florida state was uh Kicking the tires there as well. You think, I don't know what the by the time this it's out for a day or so he might have picked. Florida State feels like a dumpster fire. I'm just gonna say that it's it's the, smoldering. Uh, it's that's just how life is though in the transfer portal. It's fast and furious, changing every minute. 
You know, there's a lot of guys connected to Nebraska in that portal. When I was looking at that list, you mm-hmm. got your guys guys in the portal who don't have destinations yet. Yeah, because you got Guy Thomas in there hanging out with Justin McGriff, Brandon Honestein. Yeah, you, I didn't there. expect that name. I got. You think be they're honest. playing Fortnite with Greg Bell? Greg Bell also in the portal, still attending classes at Nebraska. McGriff. McGriff. Sam. Yep. Yeah. Just hanging out in the portal, waiting for somebody to come in. I feel like life in the portal will be kind of boring after a while. Yeah. Just waiting for something exciting to happen. A lot of Chick-fil-A probably. In bags like after, you know, how they set it up at uh, like a table after the game for the right. spread. Or at the White House. <laughs> yeah, it could be either way. <laughs> On the fine china. That would have gone over better if the Chick-fil-A had been what was served actually. Yeah. I think I think that would have been a smarter choice. But it's, too, it's too bad DC is where it is. You could have at least had some in and out there. You had a lot of things represented there with McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Domino's. But you pulled Chick-fil-A. I think you got it pretty much covered with college kids for the most yeah, part. Yeah, well, I mean, if Maybe you would have done Chick-fil-A some Chick-fil-A and Canes, Canes like yeah. mix it up. And I was going to just... say, if you'd have done some Canes <laughs> or Zaxby's or you know, a little bit of Southern pizzazz, I think they would have been okay too, but. If you were to serve like a couple items from fast food, what would you serve? Just buy as many cheesy gordita crunches as possible from yeah. Taco Bell. That's it. I think what, that would be. Don't they have like the big party pack at, at Taco yeah, Bell? But, you get like twenty tacos for like fifteen bucks. Yeah, I think that's that's the direction I would probably go. Because they come in like kind of a happy meal. Yeah, it's got like a case carry it. A little carrying case. One of the more surprising uh, moments of the 2018 season for me is when BC and I stopped at a Taco Bell on our way back to Lincoln. It was a Wisconsin game. You didn't join us. Yeah. Um, it's really expensive now. Taco Bell. Yeah. Well, yeah. not really expensive, but relative to like what it used to be. I mean, you used to be able to. I sound like an old person, but you used to be able to get a decent meal under five bucks. That's hard. I distinctly remember I got the same thing at Taco Bell every every time I went there in high school. Three tacos, nachos, and a drink for three thirty eight. It was always three thirty eight. Now it's, it's, it's like probably six, like seven bucks. Yeah, yeah. It's just tough out there. Mm-hmm. Wasn't uh, speaking of this was a tales from the road. Was it the Penn State game the year? Um, Mike Riley was about to get fired. And yeah. It's a 56-44 ridiculous game that was scroll nowhere. Scroll game. The good scroller. Yeah, nowhere near close. We were driving through a pretty bad rainstorm in Pennsylvania that night, mm-hmm. and it was freezing. And didn't we stop at, like, a Taco Bell connected to a gas station or, yeah. or it was some sort of, like... It was a beacon of goodness <laughs> in an otherwise really lousy weekend. What weekend was worse, that or Fresno State? I the Fresno trip I would say is, was worse. What do you oh, think? Oh, the the so we were out there for what three days. The San Francisco part was yeah. great. It was when we went to the airport to get the car and we had to yeah. wait for two hours or whatever it was. Yeah, we were. That's wait- when it just went downhill. We were wait- <laughs> We were waiting in line for the rental car at SFO for two hours. Uh, we were almost late getting down there. Schaefer didn't have a press pass, and we had to find like this random like yeah. little hut. It was like hidden. I got a four hundred dollar speeding ticket. Yep. Um, I ended up sleeping in a hotel in Fresno for like two hours. We I, we sat on the concourse because they didn't have enough room in the press box. I thought box. you were in the press box. No. 
Oh, you were also part I, of the I was, auxiliary? I where? was on the folding table with no <laughs> internet. It was like 95 degrees, it was, too. Yeah, it was about 100 degrees. Yeah. Look, no one should ever feel bad for sports reporters, but I have to say, like, having your press spot basically be the last row of the stadium, and then they give you a chair to sit in, and then there's just Fresno fans standing up waving a hat in front of you the the whole first quarter, that was kind of annoying. And, and it was like 11.45 at night, and Tim DeRuiter's down by 40, still chucking passes, like... Early in the third quarter. You remember their ice machine broke or something? Yeah, it was just total chaos. <laughs> it was great. That was also the game where Nebraska took one of the most bizarre safeties ever. Who was that? The, that... the batted, it was David Santos. Yeah, Santos. It? Old Santos batted that ball. Oh, was it was a block punt? Uh, what did he do? It had, he, he, he would have had to been he in He thought it was, he thought the ball was live or something on the punt. Yep. And did he bat it through the end zone? Yeah, I think that was right. Something like that, where it was like you, you hardly ever see the play. Or he thought it was dead and it was live. Yeah, basically is what it, what it was. <laughs> he was that was so short answer. Fresno way worse. Yeah, I. Well, when you guys are talking about bad road trips, I know at least for you in particular, Fresno probably couldn't have gotten a lot worse. Penn yeah. State's always like in the top five, though. Yeah. That is a you might as well try to get to Narnia over State College. It's. The next time Nebraska goes there, though, it's like early October. So you're, ah, not, you're okay. not getting like the... Maybe that'll be the year that I finally go and experience the fun. The, yeah. Well, the, the potluck is nice. They have like one bathroom in this press mm-hmm. box of a stadium that has 100,000 people. It's like a... And it's it's pretty Spartan in there. Like, yeah. It's basically like a... <laughs> you have to find your own teepee. Yeah. You yeah. have to like bring your own toilet paper. There's like a, a metal toilet in there. It's like, yeah. So it used to be a cell. There's probably like a inmate in there doing push-ups. You have to go around. You did mention the potluck, though. They have It's like the older folks of uh, State College all produce a hot dish or something that they put in this one kind of weird. Is it Ludafisk? I, I don't know what it, what it is. They have everything. That's yeah, there. there's like a strong chance it's you're pretty... getting some kind of like hash brown type Casserole. Cheesy bake? Yeah, cheesy bake in there. There's like nine different cheesy bakes, a couple meatballs, some uh, mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. I heard a comedian joking about it, and I kind of thought about it more than I ever have, about why do... Be careful with that potluck stuff. Think about these people cooking stuff on their, you know, countertops with like kids crawling over. Who knows where this stuff has been? And Cats. We just, we, yeah, we just throw it on our plate like, oh, this looks good, you know? I mean, a potluck is just a poor person's buffet, generally, right? It's it's a, it's a democratic buffet. <laughs> some some of them can be pretty darn good, but I just no. I, I look. I'm not trying to say that they're bad. <laughs> I just I've developed this weird, you know, distaste of buffets as I've gotten. I'll older. be darned if the you're going to insult Sue Paterno's potluck. Well, I mean, my my apologies. <laughs> I'm just saying. I I've don't developed think we ever like had... a, and potlucks are fine, but. I don't know. I'm a little leery. Part of because of what that comedian said, and also, like I said, just, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's just food sitting out for a long period of time. It's not always good. And you were worried there'd be no banter. And so, and some, we waited until we got to the 28-minute mark. The, and the, the potluck always has like that one person, too. It brings like a bag of chips and salsa. The person's <laughs> usually me, except it's a box of hy cookies. Some, some napkins. I don't bring napkins. That's extra money, and I don't have it. 
Uh, do we want to get into anything else football related? Nebraska does have a couple visitors coming this weekend. Running back John Bivens from Ohio, wide receiver Demarion Houston from Oklahoma City. Uh, they'll be greeted with a blast of cold weather here this weekend. Um, we can get into those guys more next week after their visit, and we'll have a better understanding of where things sit for them and and all of that. Anything else football-wise, or do we want to jump into... Do we want to talk Dedrick Mills? He's signed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he just signed. He's coming in the summer. Again, the summer. Some of us had it wrong on uh, on Monday, and for that we apologize. Dedrick Mills, yeah. What do you think? I mean, he's he's signed. That, that was the big question, right? It was. Um, there was a lot of concern about whether he would end up with the class, and that obviously was all answered on Monday. Now he still has to get here and be able to enroll. But I think, as we've said numerous times, Nebraska wasn't going to take a signature from anybody unless they knew that they could get him into the school. And so with that being said, I feel pretty confident that Mills is going to be at Nebraska. Does – Dedrick not being at Nebraska until the summer hurt his ability to contribute right away for Nebraska in September. I think it hurts Nebraska in the sense that they don't have a better handle of what it looks like in the spring. But I think he's also plays a position where you can come in a little bit later and still have a fair amount of success, as we saw with Maurice Washington this past year, as we've seen, you know, other times. I, I just think that. It's not preferred, but it's not the worst thing in the world either. Yeah, I mean, this staff completely rearranged the deck chairs when you think about last summer to what it looked like by the end of September. I mean, if you were in June of 2018, we thought Greg Bell's number one and Ozigbo's like third or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, three months later, Greg Bell's leaving the team. Ozigbo's one, Maurice Washington, who we didn't even know if he was going to get here, and I, a lot of people like me were skeptical, ends up being a part of it. So I, I do think he can pop in right away. Um, obviously, he's going to be under the microscope because of the off-the-field stuff, and that's all very well documented. I think, though, this staff probably knows, you know, kind of what you heard from other people who have coached him. He's got traits that coaches like like he's got like paul i always bring this up but i think it says a lot that paul johnson like vouched for him publicly after he got booted from the team there and it was that's well documented it was because of weed um and you know that's an issue a lot of guys that age deal with so obviously you can't mess up again with that it's breaking the rules when it comes to the ncaa so you gotta you gotta keep clean there but i i thought it's something that paul johnson says this is a good kid he's a good talent jeff sims who husker people know says the same thing like really good kid gonna be a good team guy so he's got a lot of stuff that i think this husker staff looks at and says we can work with the guy like that get him in our program get him in the culture and and you know he can be something yeah absolutely do you guys think that uh, – I mean, we know that Nebraska thinks that he's a potential pro um, down the down the line, which says something. But what does that running back room look like with him in it? I mean, is he – Crowded. It's crowded. I mean, is he essentially replacing – Less crowded than the portal, but crowded. Well. Can we call it the running back portal? 
No. We just changed Because nobody's going in and out. Them. They're just sitting in there. Oh, I think BC just illustrated that people are going in and out all the time. Are you saying that somebody's going to go in and out of the we room? go to in and out if there is one nearby. Oh, that'd be nice. Uh, I mean, is he essentially replacing Divino Zigbo? Where does Ramir Johnson fit in? How does that room shake out? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where if you're Mills, it would have been great to be here in the spring because you would have been able to establish yourself a little bit as to what your role is going to be. But I, you know, from the conversations I had from right after he committed, Nebraska views him as kind of a Royce Freeman to the Duck R type compliment. They want him to be between the tackles to add an element of power that he has the ability to get away if they're able to open up the holes. Uh, but he's always moving forward. He's moving the pile forward and he's moving the ball forward. So I think that he's going to have that opportunity for that role. I'll be curious how it looks this spring without him there and people wondering or knowing that that's ultimately where he's going to be involved at. Like who else kind of steps up this spring? It's a good opportunity if you're Jalen Bradley and you're here to, to kind of reannounce, hey, this staff wanted me at UCF. I have talent. I dominated the state of Nebraska. I wanted to be here. I had some injuries. Now I'm ready to go. And so I, I think that it's a big, big spring for some of these guys to kind of establish where they are. If you're Maurice Washington and you hear all this talk about Mills and what he can do, and you know this is going to use multiple running backs, but you kind of want to showcase, like, I can be the guy. And so I'm, I'm very curious what it looks like in the spring. Well, also, we're talking about Dedrick not getting here, but Ramirez not here. Yep. Um, Ronald Tompkins is not here. I don't know where he's at with his rehab. Do you know? Um, uh, I mean, he's still working his way back through things. So I don't know what his timetable yeah, is. He tore his completely. ACL in August, so I would imagine that he's – He had to wait to have the surgery for yeah. a while too. Mm-hmm. He's probably not so, going to be full go even when he gets here. So Dedrick Mills isn't going to be that – much behind the eight ball with most of his his competition the guy i'm glad Bruns brought up ramir's name though ramir johnson because i i always think back to when uh the huskers had that recruiting class of braylon hurd amir and uh aaron green Mm -hmm. and i remember very well always the when i would write about those guys the last name in the sentence was always amir abdullah because he was People forget this, but he was kind of the third guy of those yeah, yeah. <clears throat> recruits, and it goes to show, like a guy like Ramir Johnson. Let's just, let's just let him get here and see, because maybe maybe he's the best talent of them all. We don't know, um, and you're yet you hear about all the other guys. My favorite part <clears throat> of all of this is Nebraska's hosting a running back this weekend, and John Bivens that uh, they I know they loved his junior film uh, before he tore his ACL late in that year, and then. Sat out all of his senior year. He's excited to come out this weekend. So we could be talking about another running back. They have a just... lot of faith, don't they, in like guys who got injured, and but they they kind of look past and say that this guy we can steal this guy in a way, you yeah. know, be, like Ronald Tompkins was an example. Yeah, I mean it's kind of a lottery ticket in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. So if it hits, you're getting a talent that's even better than what was anticipated, and if it doesn't, you know, you're at a position where you were cycling in a lot of people anyways. Hoops time. Hoops. Bruns, give us a rundown. What happened? Well, the last time we talked, Nebraska was one and three in the conference. Yeah, they. Uh, I believe since we've spoken last, uh, won a kind of an ugly game against Penn State. Is that fair to say? Yeah, very ugly. Uh, and 
I mean, can we first talk about Mike Watkins for Penn State? I mean, that guy's got a hell of a mustache. Like, guy looks like he's about 45. Um, you make any police academy jokes? Nope. Don't need to. Just I was just happy he could find a sitter for, for that night game. But um, Is he a basketball version of the Shelby Christie All-Stars? Yes. Okay. Yes. Are you familiar with the Shelby Christie All-Stars? Mm-hmm. I know you don't know who Shelby mm-hmm. Christie is, but... It was 2012, 2013? Yeah. The 2013 class wide receiver that came out of Mississippi. Brunts and I are down on the sidelines before a game. Shelby Christie walks out. We both exchange a glance and determine that it looks like he has two kids and two mortgages already. <laughs> and he's going to go play high school football. And so he, you run into that a lot. And so we always refer to it as the Shelby Christie All-Stars <laughs> when it just looks like they're 15 years he old. He just looked like he was really tired and not getting much sleep at night because the kids are... Yeah. Oh, I think Brunts <laughs> even made that joke one time that they really look forward to the official visits because they get away from the kids. <laughs> yeah. So that that's the, the Shelby Christie All-Star. Shelby Christie, by the way, ended up at Louisiana Lafayette after... Uh, start, With Coach Hud? Starting out at uh, Mississippi State. But anyways... Did uh, he do anything there? Uh, I don't believe so. Um, it's hard. I mean, you got to find time to practice between working your day job, yeah. getting kids to and from daycare. And that official visit, he looked like he was just on like a break from doing yard work. Um, <laughs> he looked like he wasn't coming to Nebraska. That's what he looked like. Yeah. So they they you know beat Penn State, which was expected, kind of an ugly game, um, but go on the road and basically handle Indiana. Um, from from tip to buzzer, and you know it's the the most interesting thing in addition to what happened on the court was the the re- reaction among Indiana media to that game has been fascinating to me. Greg Doyle was disgusted. You would have thought that Indiana lost to Mississippi Valley State in that game based on how those conversations were going because. Disgusted was thrown around, I think. Uh, th- there were some pitchforks being taken out for, for Archie Miller already. How dare you lose to a Nebraska team that's beaten Indiana three times in a row? Uh, actually saw somebody say, well, what would happen if Tom Crean lost to Nebraska this way? Well, Tom Crean did lose to Nebraska that way. Nebraska and Indiana are 6-6 six and six since Nebraska joined the Big 12, I think, right? Uh, I believe Nebraska actually owns the the conference – or the uh, – the head to head now. They really? Won, they won yeah. Were they six and six there? going into yeah. that game? Uh, I think they were six and, six and five now, I think is where they're at. Interesting. They have a winning record at Assembly Hall, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that that was fascinating to me, but you, you had a lot happen in that game where you had Nebraska finally look dialed in for a road game in Big Ten play. You had James Palmer on triple double watch doing pretty much everything for Nebraska in that game. Glenn Watson coming out of his shell in the second half, scoring 12 points. Glenn Tanner, Watson stole a ball while laying on the floor. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen that in a basketball game before. Tanner Borkart has his version of the Jordan flu game um, with with the <laughs> nice. with needing well the uh, root canal, root canal the, the following day. Plays a hell of a game. Nebraska out-rebounds Indiana by nine. And, you know, even though they got had an 18-point lead that got down to three right before halftime, basically led by double double digits the entire second half. So yeah, it was three after halftime, right? They got it to 
think they got they it settled in at, at nine at half, and then they got it down to three, and then Copeland canned a big three, and Nebraska raced it back out to double digits pretty quickly. Yeah, Watson had uh, back-to-back threes. Was during that, yeah. I thought it was Copeland. So, yeah, I mean, not a bad win. It's, it's, a, it's a win that I think when people see that win – it, it's a it's a scroller, right? Like, you you beat podcast loves the scroll. You, you beat a ranked Indiana team on the road. Indiana's still going to be Indiana in a lot of people's minds, I think, and I, I think that's going to be a win that's still going to matter for Nebraska come March. Even though I think Indiana is a flawed team and is probably going to likely struggle the rest of the way. Don't you think it might also loosen them up a bit for this game yes. Thursday against Michigan yep. State because I felt like they had to figure out a way to get one of these two and there was kind yep. of this giant weight to not be two and five because after Michigan State there's this stretch where the schedule really opens up for about five or six games where you're like okay they could make a little run there yeah I think they're in a similar spot to last year I mean obviously the competition's different in the Big Ten but if people remember this they lost on the road to Penn State in overtime by one. James Palmer had his worst game of his career, didn't play much of the second half. Jordy Shimanga quit the team for the first time, publicly, anyways, uh, before that game, before quitting it nine more times and then finally leaving later after the season. Then they win by one over Illinois with James Palmer hitting a three-pointer that I still don't know how or why it went in, but basically I think it saved Tim Miles' job at that point. I'm only partially kidding because it was a bad Illinois team, and losing to them at home would have been bad. Then they turn around, and they just dismantled Michigan at home. And that's a Michigan team that obviously went on to be the runner-up last March. It felt similar to me. Like, they got that ugly win at home against uh, Penn State, and they just took care of an Indiana team. I don't think Indiana is nearly as good as that Michigan team was, but they did it on the road. They took care of that team, and it sets them up for this next stretch. Like, I think Brian's right. Like, they have a little bit more confidence now uh, coming off of some of those tougher losses. And you look at those losses they have, Minnesota looks good. Maryland looks good. I don't think Iowa's that good, but they're, they've looked better um, from the point of which they played Nebraska. So the three losses they have in conference, all of a sudden you feel a little bit better about given the way those teams respectively have played. Every, every loss that Nebraska has this year is to a team that is either ranked or getting votes right now. Yeah. So you're, you're losing to the right teams, I guess, if that's a good thing. But the, the Big Ten standings right now, Michigan and Michigan State are 6-0 in the conference. Maryland, who it seems like they've every game they've played this year, by the way, has been a home game. Like I feel like every time I turn on BTN, Maryland's playing somebody at home. But... Um, so those three, Maryland six and one in conference right now. Michigan, Michigan State six and zero. Produce four and two, and then you have just like this pile up of teams at three and two, three and three, or two and three. You've got Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Indiana, Wisconsin, Ohio State, all in that group, and then Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, Penn State, chugging up uh, in the rear there. So who emerges from that? kind of mishmash of teams is going to be really fascinating. And I, I think you're right that this is where Nebraska needs to kind of make its move um, with, with the way the schedule kind of breaks from Because they, they did have a tough start to the schedule. Oh, yeah. Very, very tough. And when I was at the beginning of the week before the Indiana game, I looked at the end of the schedule again. And I was worried for them because you're sitting two and three, and I'm thinking, man, if they lose these two this week and they're two and five, yes, they have this nice stretch, but the last four games people need to be reminded. They host Purdue. That'll be a tough game because they're 
They're always tough for at Nebraska. Michigan State, at Michigan. Yep. Home then Iowa, Iowa home who yep. can drain threes. Those are four very tough games to end the conference schedule. So after Michigan State, you got to make this that move you're talking about. But I was worried because I'm thinking like, okay, if they're two and five, they're really playing from behind. And now that that and I bet Tim Miles was thinking about that too. And now that's you know you're playing with house money's not what I would say, but I think tomorrow. That you know, if if you win that game, it's just a giant star on your resume, and if you if you lose it, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, and I mean, it's a what two point line in Vegas right now. So Vegas respects Nebraska at home. They respect this Nebraska team this year, and be curious the, if they're able to to channel that energy. The the, the Michigan State's missing some people too. I they think. are. Um, so Nebraska's catching them at a good time. It feels like one of those games where if Nebraska gets off to a quick start and gets the crowd involved in that game early, that, that you could kind of ride that for a while, I feel like. Um, so what they did to Michigan last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, so Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology, 10 Big Ten teams in the tournament. Isn't there only like one or two Pac-12 teams that are... There's one. They're basically going to get the, the conference Man. champion in, and that's it. And there was a... Is it Oregon? Is that who they are? Not has? the conference of champions, is it? Bill okay. Walton likes to say. Yeah, <laughs> maybe uh, in water polo. <laughs> the best part of that is for some of the people, not only are they only getting one team, their conference champion is put in Dayton in yeah. some of these scenarios, yeah. too. So, And you have like Oregon, who looked like they could be a decent team, just imploding. They lose yeah. Bull Bull for the season so yeah they lost to ucla the other night when they basically had it wrapped up yep what a terrible year of athletics on the main two for sports for well and they're and they're what the, com- the conference is hiring essentially like a big crisis pr firm to help them turn <laughs> things around that's that's never a good thing did we submit our resume we did not. I mean, no one's handled crisis and pr situations quite like those who cover <clears throat> nebraska athletics right it's true. And Larry Scott was supposed to be, remember when he was first hired as their commissioner, he was like the dude, like everybody's like, oh, this guy is so innovative and he's going to change the game. And it's kind of been a dumpster fire for him, I feel like. He's got yeah. way more negative headlines than positive. Say what you will about Jim Delaney. There's I've some things that I don't love, but you've, you always feel like the Big Ten's got a big, dog at the table the probably the biggest dog really jim delaney ain't hiring no pr firm yeah <laughs> i don't know if that's true but he does uh he does just manage to survive and succeed at a rate that you wouldn't think possible with some bizarre decision making but here we are so do you think uh yeah what's gonna happen Bruns? yeah give us a prediction tomorrow just you. We don't have to make a prediction. I'm going to say a, a, a bold prediction. I'm going to say a, <laughs> I'm going to say a very narrow Michigan State win. Boom! I, I feel like I feel like this this is going to be somebody's a, eardrum. Out yeah, there. a tough matchup for Nebraska. You can still hear this. Congratulations. Yeah, um, but I, I think Nebraska is going to be in it to the end. But I, I I will I will predict a very narrow Michigan State win. They're going for the home record, right? For that would 21 in a row would be. They're tied right now with most wins in a row at home. Mm-hmm. What's your bold prediction? Uh, I'd say Tanner Borkart plays 22 minutes in this game. Oh, that's not good for Nebraska. Somebody's got to play. You got to put 22 fi- minutes. You got to put five out. That's but a lot of foul trouble. He played 16 against Indiana with a busted so he's tooth. Play six and- more at home. Yep. 
don't know if that's true. I love that shot of Borkhart. I felt bad for Played him. Played zero oh. against Penn State. Yeah. But when he got hit again in the face, yeah. like with seven minutes left, and the camera just went on him for like 40 seconds, that was Didn't a dude. Did start in, bleeding? He was yeah. in complete yeah. agony. I, felt I was so waiting bad. for like the like the, the ring team to come up to him <laughs> with like a spit bucket and like start <laughs> – doing the thing to his face i was hoping that maybe the bad tooth would fall out and it would just be this like weird moment in which everything worked for him yeah tanner just picks it up puts it back in yeah goes back on the floor you're gonna be there tomorrow? gets a board yeah i will be you know who else is gonna be there <laughs> the russian bar trio at halftime yeah tell us about them well they there's a bar we learned we we did some research before recording this but there's a two guys holding a bar a woman flips up and lands on the bar. Is that is that fair to say? Look pretty good. Pretty good. No, act. no, no. You're you're doing a great. I'm laughing because the idea that the only research that we basically do for this <laughs> podcast is about the halftime show. I they they pointed it out in the notes. No, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I know. Just, I'm pointing out to the listeners. Fair question though. Where's Red Panda? Nobody knows. And did she ever get her unicycle back? Uh, I believe that. Like people donate okay. to to buy the by people you right yes yes hasn't Panda been in a bit of a slump she I, has I been. feel like she's kind of who are taking some real shots at her she's on kind Twitter. of in her Jordan Wizard years yeah. right oh, now wow. I feel like it's tough to watch almost but can you make an NBA <laughs> analogy that doesn't involve Michael Jordan in this podcast <laughs> that's pretty much where my NBA stopped with 1997 is, is about as far as i can go with him wow. that's no good is clyde drexler is he still in the league no <laughs> do you remember the nba on nbc ads when they're previewing a game it they used to be like jordan and the bulls drexler yeah. and the blazers they always would name one player in the team yep i always like to Mark do that price in the Cavs. Yeah. john john tesh just playing over the back <laughs> of it patrick ewing's injured John Starks in the Knicks. Vlade Divac just sweating. <laughs> Mutombo with a finger wag. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we're into the NBA, so it's Get time to wrap here. this thing up. As I, uh, I do eloquently every week, I will finish this podcast by telling you that you can visit our website at Husker 24-7. And you can check out all our great content. We've got some recruiting stuff going up, both 20... 19, 20, 20, there's visitors this weekend. We will have coverage of that. There could be a commitment this weekend. Noah Pola Gates, Saturday night. I don't have a time for you, but it'll start late because it's out in Hawaii. That's where the Polynesian Bowl is. And some of our coworkers because they have, I don't know, better connections than we do, unfortunately. But, again, you can catch all of that at Husker 24-7.